1: Hey everybody. How you guys doing? I see some friends of the pod. I see somebody eating a turkey burger on the stage. Like it's a fucking table. That's very cool. No, leave it there. I'm not I'm not I'm shaming you, but I don't want you to change what you're doing. Are we interrupting your dinner? (laughs) Thank you guys for coming out. What a week. (laughs) Obviously, we have a lot to get to. Uh, Really, we have one thing to get to. (laughs) One big fucking crazy thing. Uh, But before we do, uh, I wanna get into, obviously, Donald Trump Jr. and his master plan. Uh, We obviously are gonna talk about healthcare because if we don't, we'll get in trouble. (laughs) Uh, but my first guest is a fantastic actor he's best known for playing Dwight on NBC's The Office he can currently be seen in Shimmer Lake on Netflix but he he also co-founded Soul Pancake a media company that seeks to tackle life's biggest questions and he co-founded an educational initiative in rural Haiti, a place that's been through a lot in recent years that empowers young, at risk women through the arts. So I'm really excited to talk to him about that work and sort of what he's learned from it uh, as, at a time in which we've seen refugee crises and famines and other things causing a huge amount of migration and a huge amount of, of dislocation all over the world. So please put your hands together for Rain Wilson.
2: Hi. Um, Rain, thank you for being here. Thanks, love it. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting. Very exciting, and it's in a rock club. I've seen, like, live sweaty bands on this stage.
1: I want to thank you for reminding me to say how exciting it is that we are live at the Troubadour. Troubadour! We have so much to cover. I forgot to take a moment and appreciate how cool it is that we're here.
2: This is the first place the Rolling Stones played in the United States. Did you know that?
1: I didn't know that. That's not
2: true. (laughs) trickery. Yeah. On my own show. Yes.
1: I usually do the lying. <laughs> <laughs> the whole vibe is I lie to them.
2: You were not kidding about that fucking turkey burger. <laughs> and... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on one second. It's, it, just... look, it smells. What? I can smell it. Hold I on can... a second. What, what's your
1: name? I don't want any. What's your name? I'm Kate. Kate, did you not have lunch? You are going to town on this turkey burger. I'm really hungry. You're really hungry, and you thought, I'm going to come to a show, I'm going to knock out dinner, two birds, one stone, that kind of a thing? <laughs> Do you, you don't have a drink. Nope. Let's get serious. So uh, I, can you tell us a little bit about this initiative and what led you to be a part of it? I know we have a clip to, about your time in Haiti, but but what sort of led you to go there, and and, and what is the mission here?
2: Yeah, so... Um, you and what's know, it called? I, it's... L'Day. We... Um, Uh, My wife and I had been to Haiti and really fallen in love with the country. It's just a magnificent country, an amazing culture, great people, arts, uh, humor, music, you name it. And two months later, the earthquake happened. And, you know, 250,000 people died in about two minutes. Uh, The hotel that we had stayed at, um, which put it in perspective for us, like slid down the hill. Everyone inside of it was killed. It was... And as devastatingly poor as we found Haiti when we first visited it, and then after the destruction of the earthquake, we knew we had to do something. So we started teaching these arts workshops, and um, we realized that doing these arts workshops for adolescent girls was incredibly effective on a number of different levels. And um, we fell in love with the work, and we committed to it. Um, That was... Oh boy, that was seven years ago that we started it. Our organization's been going for four years. We currently educate over 600 girls in about 13 locations in, the, in rural Haiti. So, no, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. And, uh, you know, we, we talked uh, yesterday about this and about sort of some of the things that you've learned just from the response to the work you've been doing. And I think the response has been very positive. Let's start with those sort of the large, because I think, you know, you've done this work, and I think... We you- had a
2: phone call. We
1: did, and... and wh- <laughs> but no, what well, you, you, ta- you talked to me about how the fact that, that this work has been incredibly well-received, but at the same time, even when you talk about doing relief work in Haiti, you talk about the plight of refugees, you have found that there are these two responses, an incredibly positive outpouring of people who want to support the work yeah. of the organization, but at the same time, people have a kind of, what are, what are you doing for people here, uh, a kind of nationalist response. Yeah, the,
2: the, you know, and we've all probably experienced this on social media, but every time I tweet about Haiti or um, uh, recently, some friends and I, we went down to Tijuana because there's a Haitian refugee crisis in Mexico, which is crazy. And so we went down with Jimmy Jean-Louis, who's a great Haitian actor, and to interview the Haitians and hear about their story, but um, to... Hear these searing stories from these Haitians kind of stuck in Mexico um, is, was really a revelation.
1: Um, let's
2: watch the clip. Okay.
3: like a restaurant. Yeah, I know. But it looks uh, like an auto body me, shop. The food
2: is good. Hola, uh, uh, senora. Dos uh, comidas Haitian, por favor. Rain, rain, rain. Okay,
4: what? let me handle that. It's a new party, I was thinking about it. Oh, it's not that I was thinking about all of my own
2: people,
3: my
2: own people, my own people, my sometimes they abuse them. Sometimes they don't pay them, uh, you know, and they use them as semi-slaves, you know. All of these people are feeling the pressure of supporting their families back at home in Haiti. Every
4: single Haitian outside of Haiti feels the pressure of supporting their
1: families now. So, I'm, it's fascinating. Where, where, sorry,
2: but I wanted to go back to your first question, because um, I realized I didn't answer it. The Yeah, the response, so I, I, I was tweeting about this situation. And the vitriol that I get when I talk about Haiti or refugees or help, girls' education in Haiti or helping girls in Haiti or educating girls in Haiti is amazing. And there's a very common thing that is why don't you help people at home? Why are you so busy helping the Haitians? Why don't you work at home? And it's such an interesting... I always think about that. I'm like, that is so close-minded and so, so limited. Like, we're world citizens, you know? We're human beings on this ball of mud, and, and we're trying to help each other. And my brothers and sisters are just as much in Haiti as they are in Thousand Oaks, California. Yeah, but at the same time, there's
1: been a huge outpouring of support, right? There's, there's, I think, two sides of that coin, which are people who want to help and see suffering anywhere and view it as some suffering that they have to address. I mean, that's part of what you're trying to do. I think that there's a lot of people that have kind of stepped up even in this time and seen whether it's a Muslim ban or what have you to try to step up and be a part of it and say that we believe in helping these people. We believe that our values demand that we help.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And we're, we're seeing that more and more, especially with young people. I find that... Um, uh, millennials and kind of pre millennials uh, are really wanting to make a difference. And uh, it is a super high priority. In fact, there was an interesting study they found at Soul Pancake, this media company that I helped found. And um, it, it, the, the, I think it was the New York Times every year would ask college grads what's their most important priorities. And year after year and year after year, it was always the same thing. It was like money. You know, status. Uh, where's my the job that I'm going to get? How close is it to home? How's the commute? You know, all of these different things. Does it have the viability for promotion or whatever? And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, out of nowhere, like three or four years ago, number one with a bullet was: Is the work that I'm going to be doing making a difference to help the world? So, millennials get a lot of shit, but I just want to say that that's pretty fantastic.
1: And that's great. And I have a very specific position on this issue. Which is, baby boomers are the worst, and they have no right to criticize, and millennials are gonna carry those people all the way till they're gone, and I'm frankly sick of their shit. Uh, We just went through, Donald Trump is the baby boomer supernova, uh, (laughs) and uh, he's everything wrong with that generation in human form, and I'm sick of them telling us that there's something wrong with young people because they go fuck themselves. a chunk of <laughs> a chunk of a chunk of antarctica the size of delaware fell off today they can go fuck themselves um but where can people see this uh, this work that this video and where can where can people find out more? It's
2: being edited right now there's going to be uh, some of it is going to show on soul pancake and some of it is going to show on our amazing parent company participant media uh, they're doing an we amazing yeah. they they're great great films and documentaries and they're doing a, a documentary called Human flow that you have got to see an early screening of It's coming out later this week uh, later this year uh, that Chinese artist. I way way am I saying it right? He did I do I said it wrong didn't I? Um, but uh, he's documenting the refugee crisis around the world, and uh, it's an incredible, powerful uh, right. documentary. So that that will be up there. And you know, Lide, Haiti, we continue to to grow, take volunteers. We do um, you know arts education, literacy, scholarships. We have a computer lab. We have a mobile uh, library. We have tutoring programs. Um, and now we're starting uh, job training and placement for the girls that just won't fit back into school. Um, and uh, it's, a real, uh, it's a real honor to be uh, working to empower girls through education in a, in a place as, uh, as hurting as Haiti. It's a, it's a, girls' education has is, is really been found to be the number one way to relieve poverty and to really help uh, change the world.
1: It's amazing. Uh, thank you, Rain. Before we let you go, I did uh, want to give you one opportunity to spin the rant wheel. Obviously, we don't know where it's going to land. We don't know what the topics are going to be. That's part of it. Okay. Um, and maybe
2: I'll take it. Maybe you'll take it. So, right. Jesse, let's see what the wheel... This is fun. I love when you do games on this thing.
1: Let's see what the Podcast. wheel has in the store. Okay, okay. So, some of the topics okay. on this week's rant wheel. Yeah. And, again, we don't know where it'll land. Topics right. are, I'm not Dwight. Yes, I was on the office. Yep. Actors play characters. Ha, huh, that is what Dwight says. Rain, my name is Rain. No, I won't do Dwight. Still not Dwight, and
2: that was a funny scene. Great. So this is the rant wheel. Uh-huh. Let's let's spin it and why let's don't you go ahead and take it?
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll take it, maybe you'll take it. We'll see what it lands on.
2: It seems to have landed on I'm not Dwight. I'm not Dwight. Who should take this one? Uh, Fuck you, it, I'm going okay, for it. You take I pick. am not Dwight Schrute, okay? I played a character for 200 episodes, and it was an awesome character, and he was a beet farmer. That doesn't mean that you should hand me beets and make beet jokes every time I go into a Starbucks and ask if they have like a beet latte or, or something like that. And don't hand me reams of paper. And don't say fact to me. And don't ask me which bear is best. Because I am a human being of service to the women and girls of Haiti and to others in this planet. And I am not a beet farmer. So fuck you. And... Thank you for watching the show, The Office. Thank you for watching the Emmy-winning show, The Office. Guys, put your hands together for Rain Wilson. Hey, thank you.
1: When we come back, our fantastic panel.
5: Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the
1: way. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Angel's Envy. How can envy be a motivating force that inspires people? I don't know. I don't Maybe mean. look at look at Elon Musk. I mean, just you know and <laughs> Envy makes the world go round. Envy and FOMO. That's basically it. That's a, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, the half, that's capitalism. <laughs> Envy is commonly regarded as a vice, but it can be a good thing. Envy can be a catalyst for creation, inspiring the world to raise the bar. And Angel's Envy is a bourbon that is worth the envy. I was wondering where we were going with this. Angel's Envy bends the traditional rules of whiskey. It's a little different from all other bourbons out there. This bourbon makes the perfect gift for any occasion. Angel's Envy are the pioneers of secondary finishing in bourbon and one of the first full production urban distilleries in downtown Louisville. With its unique bottle design, Angel's Envy Bourbon finished in port barrels is sure to be the envy of any bar cart too. Look for Angel's Envy Bourbon finished in port barrels. Please drink responsibly. Copyright 2024, Angel's Envy, bottled by Louisville Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Love It or Leave It is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home On top of the wide variety of houseplants available, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Mike Pence should have gotten one of those after Election Day. (laughs) 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 The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape designs, and how best to take care of your plants. The point is, I may not have a green thumb, but that's why Fast Growing Trees is perfect for me, because it makes it so easy. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants, and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code It at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com, using the code It at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code It. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back. Very excited to welcome our panel uh, to help break down the week. She's a comedian who, after a visit to Greece with her father, created a short documentary on refugees from Syria called Can't Do Nothing, which is also the name of her organization. She's a wonderful actress. She's going to be playing Squirrel Girl in Marvel's uh, new show Warrior. Milana Ventrip. She's a comedian, a writer for Conan, uh, uh, her CISO comedy special, 45 Jokes About My Dead Dad. You can see that now. Lori Kilmartin. (laughs) He's a comedian, writer, and host of many failed food TV shows. (laughs) (laughs) And he could be seen this year opening for John Mulaney on tour all across North America, one of my favorite comics, Max Silvestri.
0: I would just like to start by saying I'm so happy you finished that burger. I just finished watching Okja and I couldn't handle it, you know? It just hasn't unbrainwashed yet, like Cowspiracy. So thank you. After
4: Okja, I decided to stop eating Super Pig. I won't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I-
0: Glad you're
3: able to finish watching it. I couldn't.
0: Yeah, well, I'm a little dead inside, so it helps. <laughs> All right, let's
1: get into it. What a week, guys. Woo! <laughs> so. So here's where we're at. In November of, 22, of 2016, Russia's Deputy Foreign Minister, Sergei Something, is quoted as telling <laughs> the Interfax news agency that, quote, there were contacts with influential people connected to Mr. Trump. The Trump campaign vehemently denied any conversations between themselves and Russia, uh, and then all of a sudden... This week, in response to the fact that the New York Times was actively investigating a specific meeting that Donald Trump Jr. had at Trump Tower, Donald Trump Jr. tweeted his emails uh, that documented... (laughs) uh, ...exactly what people said he did. (laughs) So this guy, Rob Goldstone, and if you have not Googled... Rob Goldstone, if you've not given yourself that little that little treat in a dark time, you know that ice cream sandwich after a terrible meal. Mm-hmm. He's um, got a good face looks, and good scarf. He just he's a great looking guy. Yeah,
0: he looks yeah. like a turkey burger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he said, as he said the following. The Crown Prosecutor of Russia offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary Clinton and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. This is obviously very high-level and sensitive, but it is part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. So...
0: I have a question. Please. Uh, and an offering. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, the question is, why did he tweet these himself? Just because he was afraid they were going to leak somehow?
1: Um, so, uh, it's unclear.
4: Uh, I think that the, the tweeting of the... Well, it's because is a high-quality person. That's something high that a high-quality high high person, yeah. person would right. he's do. He's transparent and yeah. open as well. Yeah, we all wish we could be that HQ. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just didn't think of that because of, you know, all of the things he's said and done. Didn't Pamela
3: Anderson's boyfriend tell him to tweet that
0: shit?
1: That sounds about right. It's very (laughs) difficult, you know. I feel as though stupid people playing chess and smart people playing checkers (laughs) ends up looking the same. So it's really (laughs) hard to figure out what's going on. So this guy, Rob Goldstone, says... I
0: didn't get to my offering. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Um, no, I was just going to say I speak Russian. So if you need any of the Russian last names pronounced, I'm your girl.
1: You know what? Uh, we're gonna go back.
3: He might even need Russia pronounced. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, Russia. Is this collusion? This is the foreign. Ma- this is collusion. <laughs>
3: Ryabkov.
0: Ryabkov. If you yell it and you kind of like spit while you say it, yeah. it's how you say it in Russian.
4: Like if you have a real milky mouth while yeah. you say it. <laughs> Ryabkov.
0: <laughs> Bark it. Okay.
1: I don't know that I can pull that off. You, you have a kind of way about you that you can get away with it. Yeah. For me, I think it would be off-putting.
0: Thank you so much. That's so,
1: a nice thing. Anything ever did about me? So Rob Goldstone, he sets the table. He puts the batters on deck.
4: He also does it on Facebook. Did you see that?
1: Yes, he's very active on Facebook. It is also worth noting that Rob Goldstone did check into Trump Tower. which is fucking amazing. Preparing
4: for a meeting. (laughs) so I can't
3: believe that British music publicist isn't discreet. That's ridiculous (laughs) to me.
4: Man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Again, if you haven't Googled Rob Goldstone, set aside a good 20 to 30 minutes between things. Give yourself that treat. His Facebook, as of this
4: moment, is still... Open?
6: yeah. Again,
4: bananas? Yeah. He's one of Steve Coogan's best characters, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, he says, Rob Goldstone, a, uh, a
1: sensitive, a, 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 uh, a man with a kind of world-famous tact. Obviously, people that work with Russian pop stars, very famous for their tact. He says, this is obviously very high-level and sensitive information, but it's part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. So now Donald Trump Jr., who's obviously a sophisticated and savvy person, he responds, please do not send me emails like this. Unfortunately, I obviously couldn't have such a meeting. This would likely be illegal, at the very least would be immoral. Uh, Unfortunately, I do have to let our council know, and they'll probably be contacting the FBI. This is a presidential campaign in the United States of America. And uh, we take that very seriously. And obviously, while we welcome information from all kinds of people, it's actually important to us that, that politics stops at the water, water's edge. And as much as we would love this kind of information, uh, we couldn't accept it from a foreign power, especially one that's been so adversarial to America's interests. Uh, he, because, you know, we put America first. And as much as we disagree with Hillary Clinton, at the end of the day, we're all Americans. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Guys, I misread it. He said, he said, I love it. <laughs> He said, I love... I'm going to do it in my Donald Trump Jr. I love it, especially later in the summer. That brilliant mind. Now, there's been an internal debate about, at Crooked Media as to whether later in the summer it made more sense to him because he was thinking of strategically as the campaign heats up after Labor Day or whether he did have a vacation planned in Cabo. Uh, and we don't know the
4: answer to that. So this all there's comes from no collusion after Labor Day. It's like kind of a classic <laughs> style thing. Yeah, yeah. First week of September, you can't really do collusion after that. Nah. Like Kanye, you can collude after that. Yeah, like... well, look,
1: you know, some people say that colluding after Labor Day is like an old-fashioned thing, and yeah. that it's sort of passe, it's sort of like from a different time, like when people wore hats. And now you can collude all year, all year long, especially if you're in like a warmer climate. Like, you're in Miami, and you can't collude after Labor Day, it's 85 degrees out. Yeah. What are you talking about?
0: Have a piña colluda. <laughs>
1: So that pun's okay.
0: <laughs>
1: Whatever. New t-shirt. So uh, the president, uh, who is d- d- uh, Donald Trump sort of, uh, he, uh, he fired <laughs> up a series of tweets. He said, my son Donald did a good job last night on Sean Hannity. We're going to get to that. He was open, transparent, and innocent.
6: <laughs>
1: this is the greatest witch hunt in political history. Sad. I love open, transparent and innocent. It's such a funny way to describe your kid as is high quality. Yeah. <laughs> o- open, transparent and innocent. Now what I like about that is it confuse it's almost like it confuses means and ends, right? It's like he if he's innocent, the open and transparent are almost beside the point. Yeah. Right? Like he's he's actually he's actually Transparent and quite guilty, <laughs> which
4: is, I think, the trick. Also, the like uh, the way he described him as high quality reminds me of like how Don Cheadle in Boogie Nights describes the stereos as high fidelity. Like this sun right here is the highest possible quality you can get. Just like so, hopped up on rails of cocaine trying to sell. <laughs> $1,000 stereos to people in the valley. Yeah,
3: you know, what's odd is he often projects his own qualities on other people, and this is not him at all. That's what I don't understand about this Donald Trump
1: quote. Uh, yeah, so uh, again, deeply strange. It's interesting. We can spend a second on this because I do think it's a part of Donald Trump's psyche, and, uh, and it is beside the point. But man, does he heap praise upon Ivanka, but the best he can do for his son, the son that's most like him. Well, he doesn't want to fuck his son. Well, that's part of it, but, but clearly he sees his son. And Allegedly. He sees, he, sees, <laughs> he sees a lot of himself there, and so the best that he can muster is open, transparent, innocent, and high quality. It's like he can't fully embrace his kid because he sees him on television. He's like, he's just okay. So the right-wing media has not been very sure about what to do with this. So they're all kind of attacking, they're kind of attacking the mainstream media. Uh, there's been, th- so R- Rush Limbaugh said, after a year, they are going bananas over this. And again, that's I don't like him saying bananas. <laughs> He's not a gay person and that is our word. Uh, <laughs> so Ari, Ari Fleischer uh, noted, just absolute hack said, that by accepting, and I think this is sort of the smart man's hackery on this issue, smart person's hackery on this issue, we're not gonna be patriarchal here today, thank you, that by accepting the meeting, uh, it appears to be bad judgment, rather than a crime or evidence of collusion, it certainly seems to me to be opposition research. So basically their view is, it was deeply immoral, very stupid, and quite un-American, but that's no crime. Um, So, guys, what do we think these people would be saying if a Democrat was doing this? (laughs) The same thing. (laughs) Come on, guys. These people have so gone beyond the pale, I think it's worth remembering what these people would do if Chelsea Clinton met with a Russian agent, someone who might be a Russian agent, with damaging information at Donald Trump, what these people would be doing right now.
4: I mean, here's what's kind of like upset, and this is like not the funny answer, I guess, to this, but like I I do feel if everything was, like about the Donald Trump Jr. specific thing, if everything was flipped, everything would be the exact same. In the, the sense that like, I, I do feel that like, with this one, it was just some dude. It's not like it was a... He was like a publicist from a company introducing like some pop star. And I know that oligarchs and blah, blah, blah. He but was
0: I, a music manager. A
4: music manager. <laughs> I just feel like it wasn't actually like the government saying like we're going to change things. It was just like we have intel. And I do think it's a crime and it's bad, but I do think the flip side would be the exact same.
0: I disagree. Democrats
4: would find a way to be like, what? You, of course someone not officially connected with the campaign would be like, I'll take the meeting. You know, that's like a very LA vibe. I'll take the meeting. I don't, wanna, I don't want this job, but I'll take the meeting. I want I'll, a free water. I'll take water. the meeting.
1: Wait a second. This is in the fucking valley?
4: <laughs> no.
1: Right.
3: I'm
6: not, it's a lunch
1: or it's nothing. I'm yeah. not cr- and I'll tell you one other thing. I'm not crossing the fucking 405 to meet with some Russian lawyer. <laughs>
3: allegedly didn't know it was a Russian lawyer. They yeah. just had nothing else to do. The campaign manager and the brother-in-law were like, that sounds cool. Let's do it. That's the
1: thing. That, so first of all, it's so also one thing to note that that uh, I saw being debated today. Both Chris Geidner, who's a great reporter at BuzzFeeds, and Chris Hayes, seem to have kind of discovered this little interesting twist uh, separately, and we're both reporting on it today, which is if you read the emails, you get the sense that there was a phone call that's not been reported. Yeah. So ah. that... They were that before the meeting was actually set. The reason it was set is because this guy, uh, Goldstone, talked to Donald Trump Jr. on the phone and let him know what the meeting was going to be about. A call that as of now, we don't know the content of, we don't know what was mentioned, but it seems very clear to, to, to set up this meeting. And after that phone call, Don Jr. doesn't say, ah, eh, she's some Russian lawyer. Maybe it's interesting. I'll see what she has to say. He has heard from him in email that it's connected to the Russian government. He has talked to Goldstone about it. And so not only does he set the meeting for himself, he sets it for himself, Jared Kushner, uh, the son Donald Trump always wanted. And... <laughs> Paul Manafort, uh, the sleaziest campaign manager any person could ever wish for. And the three of them have a meeting. And this is something we said on Pod Save America the other day. Imagine, in the days after clinching the nomination, that David Axelrod, David Pluff, and Malia Obama <laughs> got together, and Valerie Jarrett, for good measure, got together... With a, with a Russian, a foreign, a, a foreign agent or someone who is associated with a foreign government, a particularly an adversary, to find out dirt on John McCain. It's
4: inconceivable. They also, the, the Russian lawyer changed the meeting, was like, actually, I can't do three o'clock now. Like, can you do four? And all these people were like, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, I feel like, tells you everything about the content <laughs> yes. of the phone call, yes, yes, that yes, they yes. weren't like, fuck you, power. No, <laughs> you gotta do three. They were just like, whatever works, whatever works. We'll be there. <laughs> We are psyched
1: about this. (laughs) We are losing,
4: obviously. I mean, we're really screwed.
1: Hillary chose Tim Kaine, and if she wins Virginia, she can't lose. (laughs) You didn't expect that. Everyone wants a gut punch. Remember what happened? Remember how we were supposed to win? Remember how it was too close and all this ended up mattering?
4: What the fuck?
6: So
1: remember so, the
4: cake you bought for the Hillary party you threw on election night? Remember all the. Remember stuffing it into the trash? <laughs> oh, that was the remember set- eating the leftover pizza two days later and just feeling dirty about it because people left earlier than you expected?
1: Remember a lot of friends offering you champagne for a month after because nobody drank it at their parties? <laughs> I oh, do.
0: No, we drank it at the party. <laughs> it remember was the-, the saddest party I've ever been to.
1: <laughs> so let's move on to healthcare because... Look, as much as this Russia story is fascinating, it is really, really important. And it's also important that we hold members of Congress like Paul Ryan and others who have been so squeamish on this, and and we'll get to them. Hold them accountable for their failure to hold Donald Trump accountable. There is something that we can actually make a difference on right now, uh, which is healthcare. And one of the saddest parts of this moment is just by dint of the fact that this Russia story has commanded so much attention, it is a little bit easier for Mitch McConnell to pass a bill. The more attention on something else, the less on healthcare, the, the more room he has to maneuver, the less pressure his members are over. So let's talk about healthcare.
0: I want to give you guys so much credit for continuing to engage your audience yeah. and for you guys for continuing to act on it. I thank you so much, and I thank you well, so much.
1: That's very nice of you guys to say. And just as a reminder, we are working with Indivisible on this, and you can go to trumpcaretent.org slash crooked and find out how to call your members of Congress and your senators, especially people listening if you are in one of the states where you have somebody who's on the fence uh, these moderates, including, and, and some conservatives who have uh, not come out in favor of the bill. I will also say that Marco Rubio uh, has said once again today that he's undecided. Uh, <laughs> but he is such a known political coward that nobody cares, nobody takes it seriously, nobody believes he would vote no if it counted, right? Nobody fucking believes you. And there's a whole debate in this country about all these undecided senators, Capito, Portman, Murkowski, Collins, Rubio's like, but I'm undecided, too. And everyone's like, no, you're not. You'll do what you're fucking told. (laughs) Back to where the debate is actually unfolding. Mitch McConnell announced on Tuesday that he was delaying the August recess and keeping senators in Washington so that they could uh, focus on health care. He said, in order to provide more time to complete action on important legislative items uh, that have been stalled by a lack of corporations from Democrats... Yeah, it's our fucking fault. Our fault, nobody likes your garbage bill. The Senate will delay the start of the August recess until the third week of August and he says that a revised version of the bill will be released on Thursday, and they're gonna once again get a CBO score. Now, what this debate is about right now is the Cruz Amendment. This is an amendment to remove minimum coverage requirements imposed by the Affordable Care Act, uh, like pre-existing conditions and others. Uh, this, The idea here is that there has to be an option like that. On its face, it sounds okay. Okay, some of them cover things, some of them don't. But what happens if you have one set of plans that covers everything and one set of plans that don't, that doesn't? the people that need, need more care end up shunted into the more expensive plans, and people that are healthier and younger uh, and, and, are, and, and have less use for healthcare right away end up in the cheaper plans, and you end up with this divide, and it basically just sends people's costs skyrocketing. Kaiser Family Foundation, which has been so good about this, and one of the best uh, kind of sources for data on, on healthcare today, they said that much higher premiums for some 1.5 million people with pre-existing conditions. And again, all of this is about math, they can claim all they want, that they're going to help people with pre-existing conditions, that they're going to take care of it, they're going to take care of it. But it doesn't matter if they can be charged more, charge huge sums of money depending on, uh, on what their pre-existing condition is. They're also being kind of, just to get into the details here, they're playing fast and loose. They want to get a CBO score, but they want to do it without the Cruz Amendment because they know it'll damage the score, but they need a score to move forward. So they're being very shifty.
0: I have a question. I'm sorry. Yes. I don't quite no, understand. No, get in there. So, um, so this amendment would, would allow two different plans and one of them would allow you to pick a cheaper one because you don't have a pre-existing condition?
1: No. So the way it would work and again this is all changing all the time, even Ted Cruz is not exactly sure. He's been he's been <laughs> adjusting this all the way through. Famous but, wonk, Ted Cruz is not <laughs> <laughs> uh, he,
0: It's listen. called the Ted Cruz Amendment. <laughs> There's a question Ted Cruz
1: ideas. is he is smart, <laughs> but yeah. I think that he like this amendment is pretty dumb. So And I think he's kind of, like, he keeps talking about how he's going to change it, and they're making all these, basically they keep making all these adjustments because they know this same problem exists, that basically you'll end up people with two different kinds of plans. But just to get into the details of it, so there are these um, uh, requirements of what health insurance has to cover. This is sort of the gist of it, that uh, plans have to cover these 10... Things. either things like ambulance rides and and, and basic preventative medicine, Um, and Republicans don't like that, because it it does mean that insurance has to be more robust, and that does mean that that your out-of-pocket costs, your premiums may be a bit higher, even though your insurance is better in there when you need it. I take
4: constant optional ambulance rides. If you just call 311, they will just... Yeah,
1: you use it like Uber. Yeah, exactly. I'm like,
4: my hospital's uh, at my house. It's weird. My girlfriend's (laughs) a doctor. Anyway, take me home.
1: you are like... I'm going to give you five stars if you give me five stars. <laughs> right. And they're like, sir, this is a fucking ambulance. I'm Blue Cross. Take me home. <laughs> so these, there are these essential health benefits uh, that Obamacare required insurance to cover. And basically, Ted Cruz's, the gist of it is some of the plans will have to cover this stuff and some of the plans won't. And basically, this is the problem, that if you're somebody with pre-existing condition, if you're somebody that needs better health care, you're gonna end up buying the more expensive plans that cover more things, and people that want more catastrophic coverage or people that want healthcare that's a bit skimpier, because they're healthy and young, and they'll end up in the cheaper plans. The thing is, if you, this is the problem, we all end up paying for our healthcare. It's all just yet another, it's interesting, these guys complained for so long that Obamacare was technocratic, it's government bureaucrats making all these decisions, and the second they got the chance to write a bill, they wrote, they took Obamacare, they used the same the same uh, system, and then they just, they're like, we just want a different set of technocrats. We just want a different set of rules. Like, Ted Cruz's amendment is a complicated, jury-rigged bit of nonsense to buy off some votes, but it's not going to make healthcare better for anybody, it's just going to make it more expensive for the people that need it.
0: So won't it just fail again? So that's the
1: question, and we don't like you know we don't want to be uh, overly optimistic here. I think we should be we should be hopeful, but we have to fight because Mitch McConnell's crafty and he can buy off some votes. And uh, now there are some moderates who seem like they are hard nosed people, like Dean Heller in Nevada. Nevada I, I didn't For, mean... That was, I just want to leave that in there because I am sick of people telling me to say Nevada when I usually say Nevada. <laughs> and once in a while, a Nevada slips in and these Nevada people, they go, they go crazy.
0: Where did it come from? These
1: Nevada people are going, crazy?
0: <laughs> Where did it come from? Why do you start saying it randomly? It just pops up?
1: Well, I just forget. I remember that it's
4: Nevada...
0: But you were raising Nevada. No,
4: but it's like if you have a friend that's like K-A-R-A and you're like, I know it's Kara, and she gets so mad if I didn't say Kara, but then in your head you just start going, Kara! You know, like you get real <laughs> nervous because you're working so hard on it and people really correct you Hannah's and Hannah's Megan's that. and Megan's. It's a, it's a minefield.
0: Everyone's a Megan.
4: Gillian and Gillian, go fuck yourself, both <laughs> of you.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I ask why However, is- if you call me Melania, I will chop your dick off. <laughs>
1: Dude, I want you to know that I have been worried about that all day.
0: <laughs> I know. You know, I did a show the other day, and I could tell that the host was so nervous that they were going to say Melania Vyntroup, and they went, Melana Vyntroup, and then had a Melania Trump joke and said Melana Trump.
1: <laughs> he got all screwed up in his head.
0: It was a woman. How dare you? I thought patriarchy was dead here.
4: Cutting this, too. I have a question about... <laughs> This is maybe a dumb question and or a depressing one, but I feel like all the rules we thought we had of like how decorum works in Washington keep feel keep feeling like they're being violated or thrown aside. Where like if you wait long enough, every actual illegality goes away. Like oh, remember when Sessions lied? Like just the idea that like any of these rules matter doesn't seems to be changing every day. Why does the CBO score? Like, why is that not something that nobody cares about? And they're just like, all we have to do is get votes, go fuck yourself. It feels like that's where we're living, so that they're still aiming for it. I'm confused by.
0: Does Fox not talk about a CBO score?
4: Oh, they don't talk about any.
1: This is <laughs> a laugh in the. How <laughs> <laughs> <There's> a- <laughs> dare you! <assume. laughs> so. that's interesting. So it's, there is this divide. There, there, laws they're not. They're trying to avoid breaking still. So that's the good news. The good news, but cool. norms, anything that is decorum, norms, values-based, anything that was rooted in tradition. That is going by the wayside. On the CBO score, so we don't have to get into the, the nitty gritty of it, but basically the reason they need a CBO score is, is that in order to pass healthcare with only 51 votes as opposed to uh, the 60 vote threshold they normally need, they have to demonstrate that the bill wouldn't add to the deficit uh, according to this reconcilia- yeah. re- reconciliation process. Okay. That being said, though, you're not wrong. They have been attacking the CBO as an institution like crazy. Like a politicized, like yes. they're going to make it a thing where they yeah. delete. Even though the person in charge of it is a Republican, and he is somebody that Republicans liked and and believed and trusted until, of course, they came up with a CBO score that didn't uh, fit with their their goals here. So you're right. And that's an interesting thing, too, because McConnell, you know, Donald Trump, he's, listen, he's a brash and charming fellow. I don't know if you've noticed. (laughs) But um, his sort of like clownish circus violation of norms is what gets all the attention, but Mitch McConnell has done more to damage norms and institutions than anybody in Washington from holding that seat open to Neil Gorsuch to what he's done with this process, this secretive healthcare process. Um, And so, yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, one of the things we need to reckon with is the fact that we just don't have these institutions and norms to protect us, uh, including a lot of democratic norms around believing that everybody should have the right to vote, which is why we see so much vote suppression, believing that districts uh, uh, should be fair and not, uh, not, not politicized to the point where people are choosing their, where representatives are choosing uh, their voters instead of the other way around. So yes, there is just a, an assault on our values and that's what makes it so difficult. And, and as Democrats, it doesn't seem like we have much to do except just fight like hell to win elections and take some power back because up and down the line, we've lost so much that we're struggling to fight against these sort of anti-democratic forces.
3: Why, why is Mitch McConnell, why is he not as disgusting to Republicans as he is to us? You know, like, no, they seem like they'll do whatever he wants, and he's very compelling to them. I don't understand why they just don't hate him like we do.
1: That's interesting. He's, he's really good at his, his job, and, and I think about this in terms of Harry Reid, because Democrats, I think, like Harry Reid. We think Harry Reid did a good job. He's a tough, he was a fighter. But on the Republican side, Harry Reid is despised. Harry Reid is thought of as a liar and, and, a, and, a, and a, a political hack, that he lied about Mitt Romney and made stuff up on his taxes, that he was... Uh, I, I think that there really is, on the other side, a, a mirror image uh, in terms of how they view Harry Reid. Now, I don't necessarily think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. But it is interesting to see the way that we have we have some blinders on, too. You know, when Harry Harry Reid goes too far on... on, on Romney's taxes and says, he probably didn't pay any taxes and I've heard it, it's fact, you know, I, and he report, says it on the Senate floor, we think that that's an exaggeration that's helpful and maybe we turn, the bl- turn a blind eye because we understand why he's doing it, but from the other, from the other side, it was, a, it was a lie on the Senate floor that hurt Mitt Romney and, and set the tone for his, his defeat. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's tribal. It's as simple mm-hmm. as that. <laughs> when we come back... <laughs> A game called Let's Collude.
5: Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up.
7: When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah, is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah, This is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we're back. Now for a game called Let's Collude. Uh, This is going to involve a member of the audience. Uh, so Elisa has a mic in the house. Um, I obviously would like to go to. I see some friends of the pod up front. Let's get those hands up. Uh, hello, what's your name? Rachel. Rachel, would you mind coming up, Rachel? Because this is a you can go around and yeah. write up the thing. Just because uh, guys, we're in the troubadour. We're in a new space. And we're gonna come up on stage, <laughs> guys. Yeah! Give it up for Rachel. Rachel, come, come join me at the center of the stage. All right. Hi, Rachel. Hi. How are you? Great.
3: This is awesome. Are you from L.A.? No,
1: I'm
3: from Seattle. You're from Seattle. Mm-hmm. So you're visiting? Yes.
1: Oh, what do you think so far? It's okay. It's okay.
3: <laughs> it's okay. It's a little warm. No.
1: Um, so let me tell you how the game works, okay? Uh, there have been a lot of deeply strange defenses and also incomplete defenses of Donald Trump Jr., Okay, So I'm going to read them to you, and your goal is going to be to fill in the blank with the word that was used. Okay. Do you keep up with the news? Yeah. All right. What's your news diet?
3: You know, New York Times, Washington Post, occasionally Politico, your Twitter feed, you know.
1: Honestly, that's like a pretty good list. <laughs> uh, you're going to get a good, good sense of things. Here's hoping. Uh, so Dana Rohrabacher, uh, the Kremlin's man in D.C., uh, <laughs> He offered this, okay? And your job is gonna to be to fit fill in the blank. He said, we should listen to everybody, no matter who they are, especially if they say we've got information that's very volatile. Yeah, you wanna hear what that is. So the idea that somebody's trying to make a big deal out of it, again, unfortunately, fake news is making a lot of a big deal out of this. This is not a big deal. It's a, now, it's a dumb phrase, Okay, that people use too often. Oh, Nothing Burger. Yes! Oh! <laughs> Rachel, you are one for one. <laughs> By the way, who are you here with today?
3: My boyfriend,
1: Robert. Oh, Robert. Hey, Robert. Hey there. Yeah. I see two, both in Friends of the Pod shirts. You guys look great. Yeah, coordinated. Coordinated, that's right. Alright, are you ready for question number two? You are one for one and mm-hmm. on your way. Some parachute sheets. <laughs> Paul Ryan was asked today about Donald, Tr- Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, meeting, and he said, I think it's very important that these professionals and these committees do their jobs so that we can get to the bottom of all of this. When he was asked if he would have ever taken such a meeting, he said, I'm not going to go into what?
3: Probably the specifics or the details. Very,
1: very close. Very, very close. But what, but what he said... If you, would you have met with somebody like this? He was saying hypotheticals. But uh, I feel as though you were close. And you know what, Rachel? I'm giving it to you. Uh, thank you. Now, Rachel, there is one more statement for you to evaluate, uh, and I believe Robert is going to come up on stage to help us. <laughs> Guys, give it up for Robert. Robert, can you grab Max's mic? Uh,
4: Robert, the floor is yours. Rachel, you are the most amazing person. You are smart. You're politically engaged. You are gorgeous. You are the straightest shooter that I know. And I think you know how this statement ends. pause for applause <laughs> Will you marry me?
6: Yes.
4: Guys,
1: give it up for Robert and Rachel. Rachel. Thank you. Robert, come here. I am so glad you said yes. I, there is some champagne and and some you know nice things up there for you guys So go hang out in the green room if you want to watch the rest of the show you can see it through the curtain But don't feel obligated don't feel obligated
3: So that champagne wasn't for us.
1: Nope.
3: Oh, uh, it's empty
1: And uh, <laughs> Guys there was an engagement at love it or leave it That is awesome that was in the works for a while. There was an open question. We thought either this is going to be a sweet and wonderful moment or this person, Robert, who we do not know, is a lunatic.
0: <laughs> yeah, when he told me that, I was like, you guys have any Trump supporters come to your show?
6: <laughs> That's what I thought this was
0: going to be, a protest. No. Oh,
1: the real proposal. It was great.
0: It was beautiful.
1: <laughs> when we come back, the rant wheel.
5: Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up.
7: Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Reclaim your time now that you can listen to four weekly ads free episodes across PodSave America and PodSave the World. There's never been a better time to join Cricket's Friend of the Pod subscription community.
1: The marketing people say that listening ads free saves you up to two hours of ad listening each month. Imagine the possibilities. You know what you can do with two extra hours a week? You can listen, listen to, to two- more podcasts. Exactly. Uh, two more episodes. That's yeah. two more episodes. Yeah. Get more stuff in your brain. Yeah. Get more stuff in that or brain. we stuffing content in there like, yeah, uh, like you're a fog rod. Just-
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> Become a member today. Go to Cricket.com friends now to learn more.
1: back now for a segment called the rant wheel it's pretty self-explanatory uh, uh, we read what's on the wheel we spin it and then we rant about it on today's wheel we have whataboutism something we saw sean hannity practice earlier we have amazon prime day we have public proposals let's get into it uh, we have mike pence's statements Uh, on this whole Russia thing, which I think is worth considering. (laughs) High-quality
3: sons,
1: (laughs) David Brooks, Game of Thrones, and audience choice. Let's spin the wheel.
0: Oh, it's Dear Evan Hansen.
1: (laughs) It has landed on Amazon Prime Day. I always want to take advantage of it. Now, do you guys know what Amazon Prime Day is? No. Everybody knows. There I, are big... I don't. So Amazon Prime Day is this day where they do a sales, lots of prime sales for prime members, sales across Amazon.com. And I always feel like it's like almost like it feels like you know Black Friday after, after Thanksgiving. And I always feel the same thing, which is I'm screwing this up. I should be making the most of this, and I can't. And I go to Amazon.com, as I do often, and I can't make sense of it. Amazon Prime Day. Are these things going to be more expensive tomorrow? Do I need a Swiffer? Do I, do I need a vacuum? Maybe. Maybe in six months I'll have wished I bought this vacuum.
4: Let's spin it again. <laughs> I bought an Amazon Echo yesterday because of that pressure because I was like, if you don't get this deal, you're a piece of shit. That's how like <laughs> that was the pressure I internalized. It's only ninety dollars. I didn't even want to buy it, but I was like, that's so much less than regular price. That's and a I
3: lot of it. negative self-talk.
4: Yeah, that's why.
3: Alexa's I, nicer to you.
1: You <laughs> know what? I want to talk about this Amazon Echo thing. And there's a Google version and there's Alexa and all of these things.
3: That's the same thing.
1: Are we Are we really all together on board with the five biggest companies in the world having microphones in all of our houses is that where we're at we're not right we we have questions especially at a time in which uh it seems like half of our news is about the revealed secrets via emails and other like recordings and about the other half of the people like we're kind of that's so basically like the future is people asking alexa to hear stories about what was recorded on alexa
4: Well, it's also confusing because I feel like in spy movies and mob movies, when they're worried about being listened to, they put music on real loud. But now Alexa is how you do that, so you have to be like, "Alexa, put on classical music, crazy loud," and then you say secrets, but they can hear all of them. So, sort of a circular thing. You guys should
0: all just get used to tweeting your emails. (laughs) It's just gonna be a norm.
3: DJT Junior, yeah.
0: (laughs) Tweeting all
1: my emails. (laughs) Oh, I forgot we spun it. It's landed on David Brooks. Ugh. Let's talk about this David Brooks column because everybody wanted, was going... It's a funny thing. David Brooks caught a break because I don't know if you guys saw this, but he basically wrote a column about how uh, a lot of inequality is driven by culture. And it turned on this paragraph. And the paragraph was about going with a friend from high school to a deli. And the deli No, no had, a
4: friend with only a high school education. A friend with only
1: a high school education who went to a deli, and there were words like soprasada... Uh, and I guess... Ha- Gefilte fish. Gefilte fish. <laughs> Not clear that that was on the on the menu. but I it
0: skimmed was, it. I only it have was, a high school uh,
1: education. It was the fancy cured meats. And basically he says <laughs> that his friend was in a panic, <laughs> could barely, was almost beside herself for himself, and that they left and went to Mexican where she felt more comfortable. And he used this as a jumping off point for a conversation about the language and culture of the upper middle class and how it creates distance from other people. So first of all, maybe she just didn't feel like having a a, a lot of nitrates.
4: It's a commitment to have an Italian sub. I mean, like, there's not a lot of low carb options, you know?
1: No, and the thing about it is so frustrating is first of all, man, he, I bet Paul Krugman, mark my words, Paul Krugman is gonna do that thing where he responds to David Brooks, but because of internal times policy, (laughs) he's not allowed to say David Brooks by name, and so he's gonna say, recently there have been a lot of arguments around the effects of not just economic inequality, but cultural inequality, but here's
4: where David Brooks Went wrong. But he's not going to say David Brooks.
3: <laughs> so all of his columns are right. sub tweets, basically. Yes. He will. And then yeah.
4: Thomas Friedman can do a thing where he's like, I had a cab driver that was reading me the opinion page the other day. And then you just have him read it all out loud.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tom, Thomas Friedman does all of his best work through, uh, through means of conveyance.
4: Uh, but anyway, this David Brooks thing
1: is really frustrating for a number of reasons. And like the obvious reasons about how patronizing and silly that is. And the fact that like his friend is probably going to read that column and she's like, hey, fuck you, man. I know what yeah. Soprasada is. I wanted a burrito, But
3: she doesn't have a high... She only has a high school education, so she probably doesn't read the New York Times, yeah. right? Yeah.
4: I mean, I took AP Mexican food in high school, but I didn't... <laughs> because I was working a part-time job, I didn't have time to take AP Italian cured meats, so I... <laughs> That's why things didn't work out for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what made me so mad about it is because, like, Italian food, especially, I get the gourmet sandwich up vibe, but, like, so prasad and stuff, that is, like, a blue collar food from, like, 80 years ago that immigrants brought to this country to, like, make meat last longer. Um, I feel like his weird connection between, like, well, Mexican is normal, but Italians are fancy. It's, like, its own weird, (laughs) (laughs) its own fucking weird problem.
3: Well, Mexican food just. Does have the five ingredients, right? Bean, cheese, <laughs> right. avocado, exactly. tortilla, and something. I else. think
4: like more, <laughs> more to his point of like, and I just really wanted to bring this up of like more what actually is destroying, what is the upper middle class's fault for destroying is the way the New Yorker has been writing Donald Trump Jr.'s name. Did you see the oh, article yeah. they wrote about? What did they say? Well, their style guide says that when they write Donald Trump Jr.'s emails, they write. Donald Trump, comma, J-R, period, comma, apostrophe S. Because you set off a junior with a comma, but then you have to close that clause with another comma after a period, which is their own weird fucking thing, and then an apostrophe outside the comma. And it is like, I feel like if I lived in middle America and saw that once, I'd be like, I'm going to go you know, kill people in New York.
1: If you want... <laughs> If you want to know the, the, the uneven battle we have as a country, there was a debate inside the headquarters of the New Yorker about the style guide for, for having the word Donald Trump Jr. would appear, and Seanity's like, Hillary killed Roger Ailes. When we come, when we come back, Hillary killed Roger Ailes.
3: Ailes <laughs> apostrophe. Uh, Let's
1: spin it again. <laughs> Audience choice. Oh, Game of Thrones. You want to just do Game of Thrones? Where do these HBO people get off? No, I love Game (laughs) of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. I think that, like, the one thing I'd say about Game of Thrones is that I feel like there's this feeling you have when Game of Thrones is coming, which is, like, first, Game of Thrones will never be here. Then, oh, my God, we have so much Game of Thrones. And it feels like that for, like, four episodes. And then there's no more Game of Thrones.
4: I mean, I just, it feels, I love the show so fucking much, but I, like, have been doing homework to prep for the premiere, (laughs) which feels insane that this is the relationship we have with, like, the entertainment media that we want to consume, where I thought the premiere was this last Sunday, so, like, I started catching up on, like, various this is the history of the Iron islands you need to 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 read before you even enjoy this television show. Yeah. I totally forgotten the last three episodes of the last season. I was like, no, it's cool to like do a, a good six hours of uh, bricklaying <laughs> before my Sunday Night TV I, or whatever. I
1: stopped myself from rewatching the most recent season because I felt like I was like I needed a fix, you know like. I could, I'd be lying if I said I, I, I think I could get through it. I don't need to watch it again, but I want to. Yeah. But I want to. That long battle was super cool. Yeah. And I don't even remember what the characters names are because I never knew them. <laughs> <laughs> Daenerys, Stormborn, Stormborn. M- Miguel of the
4: Antelopes. I don't think
3: that's right. <laughs> it's not. The more, this, the more names, the more they're gonna die. Oh. The
4: sandpipers. The guy who plays Miguel of the Antelopes is such a hunk, man. <laughs> Miguel sand, of the Antelopes. The
1: sandpipers of Ferozny. <laughs> Ferenzo. Sandpipers from. That's from Better Call Saul. I'm all over the fucking place. <laughs>
3: It's. It, I haven't watched it, so now okay. it's a 60-hour commitment.
4: Yes, and you should get started. Ugh. It really heats up after the first 27 hours, <laughs> so just...
3: <Can't> do it.
4: <laughs> Step into the pool.
1: (laughs) You had so much great stuff. I don't know that I'll go
0: back. You won't go back. I don't know. I feel like I, I had a really hard time grieving the end of last season, and I've gone through this multiple times now, that every time it just creates so much heartache for me, and I'm already dealing with a lot.
4: Because you miss that priest. You really like that priest.
0: I mean, he was so dreamy. Yeah, yeah. With his <laughs>
4: with his robes, they were so It was so long ago, fitting. I don't
0: even uh, get the reference. I don't
1: remember the
4: <laughs> characters. There have been so many characters. Jonathan Price, he wore a lot of shifts and then he burned to death.
3: I, I, saw the, I saw the first episode, the pilot where a, a boy, my son's age, crawls up a mountain and peers into a cave, and they push him off the mountain. And then, and you, as a mom, I was like, "Oh, this is the greatest show I've ever seen." <laughs> <laughs> I hope this happens every episode, but I haven't. I haven't. I don't have the other fifty-nine hours. Honestly, to honestly. To it. I, I,
1: based on our conversation so far, I think you'll love it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kids that don't follow rules are constantly being publish, uh, punished in very big ways. So Honestly, enjoy that.
1: as are the kids who follow the rules. <laughs> I want to thank this awesome panel. Thank Milana, you. Lori, Max. Thank you guys for coming out. I want to thank Rain for coming out as well. Thank you for being here. Alright, let's do the Q&A. Anybody got a couple questions for us? A question over there. I see a friend of the pod and a straight shooter. Brought two shirts. You better get a question. This would be great. Oh yeah, I'm um, Quint, and uh, I was wondering. I know John talked about it on his Twitter a little bit, but what you, if you think that that round's tweak to the Cruz amendment is actually going to get traction and can actually potentially become a huge hindrance? to us? Uh,
5: no. Okay. So what he's asking is, uh, we talked about this Cruz amendment in the bill there is another Republican senator who's saying, okay, we're trying to do some tweaks to it so that the conservatives still like it, but then the moderates get on board. And um, so I was a little worried about this because that's the kind of shit that happens at the end. It suddenly makes everyone vote for a bill. But I asked um, Andy Slavitt, who ran Medicare and Medicaid for us, he's a healthcare expert, and he said he asked a bunch of healthcare experts and he was like forwarding me some of their emails and they all thought it was like the most absurd thing they ever heard. Um, And they just think there's no way to do that. Because what these people are realizing is, like, to fix that, you would have to have one insurance pool like we currently have in Obamacare. So, like, all these Republicans are realizing that to fix the unpopular parts of the bill, they have to go back to what the bill, what Obamacare originally was. It's
1: like like they're dragging their dumb bill uh, through a forest of facts and knowledge and every time they drag it out on the other side, it's enough stuff has been attached to it that it's Obamacare. And they're like, fuck, we made Obamacare again. Back to the other side, back to the other side. Run faster this time. Take a different route. Maybe Rand Paul takes it for a second, and they pop out the other side, it's like, ah, we did it again. It's shitty Obamacare again. Fuck. <laughs> End of analogy. One last question.
0: Hey guys, uh, hopefully I'm not the only one to admit this, but there are days I can't watch the news. It's like crippling with anxiety, I just can't do it. Uh, What sort of social responsibility do you feel for providing a lot of us news in such a wonderful, educational, yet funny way?
1: What a softball question. (laughs) (laughs) For someone who hasn't watched the news, you've learned a lot from Sean Hannity. Uh, Thank you. First of all, it means a lot. Look, I think the three of us we started this company because we ourselves felt compelled and angry and worried and a desire to be involved that we hadn't felt since I think our time in politics. And it's been so gratifying that people have come along with us and that they're listening and, and, and finding us useful and liking this conversation and wanting to be a part of it and coming to shows like this and buying the shirts and, and being a part of it. And, you know, we, we had a theory and the theory was that there was room for a different kind of conversation, the kind of conversation we had when the mics were off that was more honest and authentic, that was serious without being self-serious. And, and I think a lot of people felt the same way because we weren't just frustrated as people that had been in politics, like we were frustrated as people who watched the news and didn't feel like we were getting enough out of it that sort of treated it all like a game that treated the people watching not as citizens but as like weird observers who have no stake in it when we all have such a big stake in it. And I, I totally understand the feeling of frustration of, of turning on the news and being horrified and I think that's okay. You know, we—I joke about it, but like, I'm amazed by how much people keep up. Uh, like, something will happen at five o'clock on a Friday, and we'll be doing the live show, and everybody's already seen it. And I think that's a cool thing—that so many people are engaged. But the important thing is not keeping up on every development to your own detriment, to the point where you're feeling like overwhelmed. Like, this is going to be a long fight. We're in the middle of something really serious. We're in the middle of a long-running national emergency. Uh, and I think the good news is that there are people who recognize that, that commiserate with each other. But I think the most important thing is doing your part. And when you have to step out and click out for a bit, you come back in and you're still calling your senator, you're still doing your part, you're still knocking on doors, uh, you're still participating. I think that's I think that's great because, you know, Pete Buttigieg, uh, who uh, was one of the candidates for DNC, who's like kind of a great young leader, the thing that he said to us uh, was that we need happy warriors. And I think that's part of why we do this Because and part of why we try to stay light and we try to make fun and try to poke, try to joke around even when we're talking about really serious things because we have to be happy warriors. We can't just become embittered. Uh, it would be too easy. So you don't want to read the news every day? I think that's totally cool. Download the podcast, click play, listen, get us those numbers, all right? Thank you for your question. I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you guys for coming out. Thank you to the Troubadour for having us. We're going to go crush some hamburgers uh, with Rachel and Robert upstairs, the new couple. Have a great night.